Well, good morning. It's a great morning to be together, and I just thank you all for being here this morning. It's been a good morning so far, and I'm sure it will continue that way. Uh, one of the ways it's going to continue is we're going to have a meal after this worship service. So if you came today not knowing that that potluck was taking place, or if you didn't bring any food, uh, don't worry about it. There's lots of food over there, and we would really like for everybody to stay afterwards. We'll go over to the gym, and we'll enjoy a meal together and continue to celebrate with our family. So please plan on doing that. Also, you need to know that next weekend is our annual couples retreat up in Durango, Colorado. Uh, 22 couples will be up there. Uh, we'll be doing fun things together. We'll be spending time together. We'll be worshiping with a little church up in Durango. We usually increase their attendance by at least 50% by being there. So uh, that will be wonderful being there as well. We'll try to miss those of you who aren't up with us, but it may not be easy to do. Uh, but be remembering us in prayer as we travel up there and as we travel back And one of the things that um, will be a treat for you, Craig Hayes will be preaching next Sunday in my place, and I know you'll want to be here for that. Also, I want to give you a Project 9K update. Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park. We have challenged ourselves to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017, and so far we have read 316 books of the Bible. So people are reading and people are reporting, and I appreciate that. Please keep up the good work. Um, And if you haven't joined us yet, it's not too late. Uh, So please join us in this challenge to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017. You know, I love these Sundays. It's one of the highlights of the year for me. These Sundays when we focus on and we celebrate the new life that's come into our church this past year. I love those baby pictures that we get to look at. I love the proud look on the parents' faces and especially on the grandparents' faces as the baby pictures are put up there. And I love the fact that we are a church family that has so many children I love hearing the giggles. I love hearing the occasional amen that's shouted out by some little one. I even love the noise that probably drives their parents crazy, but I love that sound of young and new life in our congregation. I love that the bald heads in the congregation just aren't on old people whose hair have fallen out, but it's also on young ones whose hair haven't yet grown in. I love the fact that we have so many babies. And I also love the fact that we have so many parents who take so seriously their charge to raise up their children as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that that's a daunting task, don't we? We know that's an incredible responsibility that our parents take on. The responsibility to not only ensure the physical welfare of their children, but also the spiritual welfare of their children. And that importance and the urgency of that task, that raising up our children to walk as disciples of Jesus Christ, that's really brought home for me when I look at the church calendar here at Netherwood Park. So I look forward a little ways. Do you know what the next event is that we'll have a combined worship service and a potluck? you know what that is all about? I'll give you a hint. It's in May. Graduation. It's our senior Sunday when we honor and celebrate our high school graduates. And I am reminded as I look at these little ones, it's really not that far down the road that we'll be celebrating their graduation from high school. 
there'll be the class of what 2035 or something like that, which is in itself kind of hard to imagine. But when I I look at the calendar and I see that these two events are back to back on our church calendar, first celebrating the new families, the new babies that have come into our family, and then celebrating and sending on their way these high school graduates. Having these two events in such close proximity really makes me think about the importance of the years in between those two events. And we know that those years in between when our babies are carried home from the hospital and when they walk across that stage, we know those years are important, don't we? In fact, that's one of the great burdens that we carry as parents. That burden to prepare our children. That burden to equip our children. From that time that we carry them home from the hospital to the time that they walk across the stage. The burden that we have to prepare them to walk successfully on their own as independent adults. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that burden is even more pronounced on us, isn't it? Not only do we carry that burden of equipping our children to successfully navigate the world that they're going to enter as adults, we also carry the much more important and the heavier burden of equipping our children to be servants of Jesus Christ in that world that they will be walking in. I want you to know that burden keeps a lot of us up at night. It keeps us up at night because we know from personal experience that all too often when our children leave our homes, they all too often also leave their faith. And as I was thinking about this particular morning, and I was thinking about how I could speak to that heavy burden for our children that we all carry, I just happened to read two stories in my Bible. Those are the two stories that were read a little bit earlier. And those two stories have always been back to back in my Bible, but I never made the connection between the two stories before. Just like our baby celebration Sunday and our graduation Sunday are back to back, I'd never connected the two events, the two stories like I did when I was reading them just recently. So let's read those two stories again, and let's see if we can't make some important connections. This time I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark. I'll be in chapter 10 and verse 12 if you'd like to read along. The first story. The people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. And then the second story which happens immediately as Jesus started on his way, a man, Matthew tells us in his account that this is a young man, a man ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the young man declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. What a roller coaster of emotions in those two stories. First, we have this beautiful and happy and exciting picture of parents bringing their little children to Jesus. Just so he can touch them, just so he can bless them. But then the story takes a dark turn. And we can picture it, can't we? We can picture those stern apostles confronting the the parents, scolding the parents for wasting the master's time with just little children. I can just hear them. He's too busy for this nonsense. His time's too valuable to be wasted on a bunch of kids. Jesus is too important to be bothered with your children. And then we're surprised, aren't we, in the story? We're surprised when Jesus takes the children's side. He's not too busy. These children are too valuable, too valuable to be ignored. They're too valuable not to be given his time. The children are too important not to receive his touch and not to receive his blessing. Jesus says, let them come to me. He says, don't hinder them from coming to me. Don't put anything in the way of their coming to me. Don't put any barrier between the children and me. We can also picture this, can't we? Jesus scooping those little children up in his arms. Putting his hands on them and giving them his blessing. Giving them his peace. And then, just as he's leaving those children, someone else comes running up to Jesus. Only this time, no one tries to stop him from coming to Jesus. And no one stands in his way of coming to Jesus. Probably because this time it's a grown man who comes to Jesus. And Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell us that he's a rich man. And Luke tells us he's not only rich, he's a ruler. He's a man with some power and authority. And it's Matthew who tells us that he's a young man. So it's a rich, young ruler who runs up to Jesus and falls on his knees in front of Jesus. And you know, his parents must have done a good job raising this young man. Right? I mean, he's respectful. He's religious. We'd say he's a fine young man. He hasn't murdered anybody. He hasn't committed adultery. He doesn't lie. He doesn't cheat. He loves his mama. He loves his dad. There haven't been any country and western songs written about this young man. He's a fine young man. 
And Jesus loves him. He loves him every bit as much as he loved those little children. Jesus loves this young man. And it seems like we're on a way to another happy ending, doesn't it? I mean, everything looks right. This young man, this man of standing, this man of wealth comes to the good teacher and he wants so much to do what it takes to be a part of God's kingdom. But then we learn that he lacks one thing. Or maybe the problem really is that he doesn't lack for anything. Which brings us back to our burden for our children. See, these two back-to-back encounters with Jesus, they spell out our burden for our children. They show us the tremendous responsibility that we have to our little children in this time that we have with them before they're no longer little. And our first responsibility is probably obvious. We have a responsibility as parents, as guardians, as grandparents to bring our little children to Jesus so they can be touched by him, so they can be blessed by him. And all of us as adults, we have a responsibility to not hinder children, to not hinder any children from being brought to Jesus We have a responsibility to not put anything in their way. To not put any barrier between them and Jesus. Because they're too valuable. They're too important to be kept from Jesus. And to be kept from his touch. And kept from his blessing. But we also have a responsibility that's very forward-looking. We have a responsibility to our children to not hinder them, to not put anything in their way, to not put any barrier in the way that would keep our children from later on in their life when they are young men and young women from choosing on their own to follow Jesus. From choosing to follow Jesus when they're no longer little. And I think that's where we struggle the most. I think we know how to bring our little children to Jesus when they are little. But I don't think that we're always sure how we equip them to follow Jesus when they're big. See, we know that we bring our little children to Jesus whenever we bring Jesus into our homes. I've always loved the picture that Moses paints of what family life should look like when he's talking to the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then he says, Impress them on your children. Well, how do we impress them on our children? He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and write them on your gates. That's exactly how we bring our children to Jesus, isn't it? 
See, when Jesus is on our hearts, when Jesus is on our lips, when Jesus is in our homes and Jesus is in our cars, when Jesus is present when we go to bed at night and he's still present with us when we get up in the morning, then we're bringing our little children to Jesus. And if we do that, he will touch them. He will bless them. We bring our children to Jesus when we do this. I'm going to paraphrase someone that I heard recently. We bring them to Jesus when in our families it's Jesus first and only Jesus first. Then we're bringing our children to Jesus. And we also bring our children to Jesus when we model Jesus in our own lives. Our children learn so much from us, don't they? They learn from our words, sure, but they learn a lot more by watching us. And they're always watching us. And when our children see us living the word in the world, then we're bringing them to Jesus. And when our children have a rich and active life in the church as part of this church family, the kind of life in the church that we read about in Acts chapter 2, then we're bringing them to Jesus. When we're surrounded by other Jesus followers, when we're immersed in God's word, when we're devoted to prayer, and when, when we're devoted to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're bringing our children to Jesus. And he will touch them. And he will bless them and we must do all of those things to bring our children to Jesus but I'm going to bring us back to our burden I'm going to bring us back to the burden that keeps many of us up at night the burden that keeps us up at night because we know from personal experience that all too often all too often when our children, even our children who we have brought to Jesus, all too often when our children leave our homes, they also leave the faith. And when we read about these children who were brought to Jesus and then immediately read about a young man who came to Jesus but then wouldn't follow Jesus, I think we can begin to understand why he didn't follow Jesus. This is something that we need to understand. You see, bringing our children to Jesus isn't the same thing as preparing our Jesus, preparing our children to follow Jesus. Let me repeat that since I butchered it so badly the first time. Bringing our children to Jesus isn't the same as preparing them to follow Jesus. Now listen to this very carefully. I'm convinced that our well-intentioned efforts to provide the very best for our children in this world, our very best intentions to provide the best for our children when they are little, those are the very things that hinder them from following Jesus when they are big. I'm going to say that again because I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. I'm convinced that our well-intentioned efforts to provide the very best for our children in this world when they're little, 
Those are often the very things that hinder them from following Jesus when they're big. See, we need to be very careful not to hinder our children from following Jesus when they become big. Not to hinder them by giving them mistaken identities. Not to hinder them by giving them false securities when they are little. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let's go back and let's look at this rich, young ruler. Let's ask ourselves the question, why did he sadly leave Jesus instead of joyfully choosing to follow Jesus? Well, one of the reasons why he didn't follow Jesus is because he had a mistaken identity. See, this rich, young ruler identified himself in ways that seem very important in this world, but really have no value at all in God's kingdom. See, this young man didn't follow Jesus because his identity didn't fit in the kingdom. It didn't fit in the kingdom of God that Jesus came to reveal. This young man didn't follow Jesus because he identified himself as being rich instead of as being poor in spirit. You know, being rich is a great identity to have in many kingdoms. In fact, it's a great identity to have in most kingdoms. But God's kingdom doesn't belong to the rich. God's kingdom belongs to the poor, to the poor in spirit. God's kingdom belongs to those who acknowledge their complete dependency on God, not their dependency on their possessions. Well, there's another reason why the young man didn't follow Jesus. And the reason he didn't follow Jesus is because he identified himself as a ruler instead of as a slave. And you know, being a ruler is a great identity to have in most kingdoms. But it has no place in God's kingdom. See, God's kingdom belongs to those who seek to serve, not those who seek to be served. So this young man didn't follow Jesus because he had this mistaken identity. His identity was in his possessions. His identity was in his position. And he also didn't follow Jesus because he had a false sense of security. The young man didn't follow Jesus because he couldn't take his security. He couldn't take what he relied on for security with him into God's kingdom. He didn't follow Jesus because he couldn't maintain ownership of those possessions that he took security in. You know, having a lot of possessions brings a lot of security in most kingdoms. But not in God's kingdom. No, in God's kingdom, security is only found in trusting God. The completely trustworthy one. And the young man didn't follow Jesus because he couldn't maintain his same position in God's kingdom. You know, having power and having authority, that can bring a lot of security in most kingdoms. But not in God's kingdom. 
In God's kingdom, security is found by trusting the one who has all power. Trusting in God who has all authority. So back to our burden. I have to ask this question. And I've been asking it of myself and I want to ask it of you. Are we hindering our children from following Jesus when they become young men and women by making them rich young rulers when they are little? Or we can look at it from another direction. Are we helping our children to follow Jesus when they become young men and young women? Are we helping them follow Jesus by raising them to be humble servants when they are little? I also want you to listen to this carefully. We don't raise humble servants by becoming our children's servants. We don't raise humble servants by becoming our children's servants. See, when we do that, we teach our children this mistaken notion that they exist only to be served. A mistaken identity. And we also don't raise humble servants by making our children our servants. No, when we do that, we teach our children the mistaken notion that we exist only to be served. And that's a mistaken identity. No, instead, we raise our children to be humble servants by modeling for them humble service. Humble service to others. And even more importantly, we raise our children to be humble servants by serving alongside our children. Serving others alongside our children. And when we model humble service, and when we serve others alongside our children, we teach them that true identity and true security isn't found in things like materialism. It's not found in consumerism. We teach them that true identity and true security isn't found in things like academic success or corporate success or artistic success or athletic accomplishment. Now, when we serve alongside our children, when we model humble service, we teach them that true identity and true security isn't found in nationalism or tribalism or sexism or racism or whatever your ism is that you want to fill in there. We teach them that true identity and true security isn't even found in family legacy. Whether that's a good legacy or a bad legacy. And we teach them that true identity and true security is found in Jesus and it's found only in Jesus. So true identity, true security are developed in our children and then our children will be free to follow Jesus when they're young men and women. They'll be free to follow Jesus when they've been raised to serve instead of having been raised to be served. They'll be free to truly follow Jesus with joy when they've been raised to worship instead of 
being raised to be worshipped. They'll be free to follow Jesus as humble servants when they've been raised to give instead of having been raised to just accumulate. And they'll be free to follow Jesus as humble servants when they've been raised to trust in God instead of always worrying about the future. Let's pray. Father, we feel the burden. We feel the responsibility. And Father, our love for you and our love for our children, Father, those make us want to do the very best for our children. And Father, we confess that oftentimes in trying to do the best for our children, we actually harm our children. And Father, help us to reorient our lives where our identity and our security comes in Jesus and only Jesus. Father, help reorient our focus where our focus isn't on us, but our focus is on others. Father, help us in our humility to serve others alongside our children. Because, Father, our deepest desire for our children is that they will follow you when they're no longer little. Father, help us to be those kind of parents. Help us to be those kind of grandparents. Father, help us to be that kind of church. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So as we end, I just want to leave you with this. Remember that we raise our children to follow Jesus when he is our identity. When he is our security. We raise our children to follow Jesus when Jesus is our way. When Jesus is our truth. When Jesus is our very life. We raise our children to follow Jesus when Jesus is all the world to us. Because when he's all the world to us, he will be all the world to our children. Let's stand and sing about Jesus who is all the world to us.